Welcome to the First NAS Podcast. Today, Pastor Paul preaches from Genesis chapter 14 with the title, Always Acknowledging God. What an amazing thing we can put into practice as a discipline to worship our great God. Let's listen in as he preaches. And if you have your Bible with you today and you'd like to follow along, I'm going to start this morning in Genesis chapter 14. And so I'll be in Genesis chapter 14, continuing to look through the life of Abraham. Uh, I wanted to just do a little bit of housekeeping before I get into my message this morning, and I'm not planned for my housekeeping. I want to say first, though I am planned to say, thanks to everyone who showed up last week for our Serve Sunday. If you showed up here and it was empty, sorry, uh, we, were, we were at different projects around town, and so thank you to everybody who led a project. We had um, about 10, 12 different projects around the valley. And so thank you to all of our project leaders. And then thank you to everybody who was a part of a project last Sunday. It was a really awesome way to just tangibly do what we say we want to do, which is serve joyfully and love everyone. And so it was, it was a great Sunday for doing that. And thank you for everybody who participated. I am I, uh, really glad to be back. Man, it was really, I missed just one week of church made me like really glad to be back. So uh, it's, and, and our worship team this morning was awesome. So thank you. Um, and then I wanted to just say like highlighting a ministry that we have in our church that we don't talk about too frequently is our food bank. And our food bank runs every other, every other Friday night uh, over at the edge. They put out a banner when they're about to run. And folks know we serve a lot of the same clientele uh, month after month. The the food bank serves like, I'm going to get the number wrong. I want to say about 160 to 180 every month. And I don't see anybody nodding that works in that ministry. So I might be wrong. Yeah? 70 to 100 each week. So monthly it ends up being, uh, yeah. Okay. Thank you. And then, uh, but our food bank is, I, I just, the reason that they're on my heart and mind is because on Monday this week in the church office, I was alone, and Pastor Becca knows better than to leave me alone in the church office, but I was alone in the church office, and somebody came into the office, and, and it was a couple of, of guys, um, kind of middle-aged guys, and they looked like they were having a hard time, and they said, I heard that this was a church that had a food bank, and I said, yeah, this is a church that has a food bank every other Friday, but I think maybe I can help you. But like, like I said, Pastor Becca should know better than to leave me alone. And I don't, I, I don't know this kind of stuff. So I made a quick call to Julie Burke and I, I said, is there anything that like, can I, can I do something for these guys? And she said, oh, pastor, of course, we've got bags of food made up and ready. And there's even some meat there that you can give in a freezer. And, and, uh, and so it was just like, my heart was so full to be able to to help that way and and that our our people are just like so aware and and able and ready and and make it so easy for us to do what we say we want to do uh which is love folks and and to just love folks like Jesus would have us love folks so thank you to to our folks there uh Two Wednesday nights from now, I'll start a new study. 
it's going to make some people mad. So I'm, I won't talk about it this week. I'll wait until next week. Never mind. We'll deal with that next week. Um, I've been looking through, this summer I've been looking through the book of Genesis. I've been talking about the life of Abraham. I've been bouncing around Abraham's life. I haven't done a linear timeline look at Abraham's life because I just didn't have the, I don't know, I didn't have the wherewithal to do that. So I'm doing, I've just kind of been bouncing around his life. And Abraham has this this incredible story that the author of Genesis has written to give us some understanding of what God expects and is looking for in people who want to be in relationship with God. And so this is a foundational book, like Genesis. It's the very first book of the Bible, right? So in Genesis, the Lord is giving us like very, very elementary beginning truths about how we live out the faith and and a relationship with God. And today, I think we're seeing one of the areas, a a repeated pattern in Abraham's life that shows us maybe what what God is expecting of us in in all circumstances. And so I'm going to look at a couple of different stories, but to get where I want to go, I have to go back two weeks to when we were here last. And two weeks ago, I looked at a passage from, from the life of Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. Genesis 15, 6 is maybe one of the most like, well-known verses from the life of Abraham. Genesis 15, 6 says, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. And, and that, that piece, what, what Abraham was believing in that moment was, was that he would have a child of his own. God made this promise to Abraham in Genesis 15, you'll have a child of your own. Abraham was way too old to have kids. Um, In in fact, when the book of Romans later in the New Testament looks at this passage, the the apostle Paul says, like, Abraham was as good as dead uh, at that point. And, And so God said, even to Abraham at that moment, like, chill out, you're gonna have a, a child of your own, it's okay. And, and Abraham believed it. And, and God counted him as righteous because of it. And, and what it means to be righteous, being righteous is, is simply fulfilling the purpose that God created you for. And so the purpose that God created Abraham for was to believe in God. It was to have faith in God, to trust God. And in that moment, God looked at Abraham who had no reason to think he would ever become a father. But Abraham, Abraham heard the promise of God, and he believed the promise of God, and God looked at Abraham and said, that is exactly what I've created him to do. Look at that. He is perfectly fulfilling what I created him to do. So the promises to Abraham were these promises of, you know, an error. God promised Abraham that he would live in the land and be blessed, that he would be protected, and then eventually that his children would bless the whole world. And Abraham believed those promises, and in believing those promises made Abraham right with God. The promises of God to us from Scripture are the promise that we could have a relationship with God through Jesus, that we would believe in Jesus, and, and God would, would walk with us. And, and through Scripture, God promises, it, as we believe in Jesus, Jesus gives us his spirit so that we can become more like Jesus. 
God promises us his presence in all circumstances. I will never leave you nor forsake you, Jesus tells us. And, and so Abraham was righteous because he believed the promise that God gave. We are righteous. We, we are being exactly what God created us to be when we believe that God designed us to live in a relationship with Jesus. And, and that through that relationship, we would become more and more like Jesus. So, that's, uh, that's foundational. And then we're going to continue on. This is, a, this is like a little nuanced today. And I try not to be too nuanced, but that's foundational. You gotta file that away. I hope you took a note, because we're gonna come back to that. Uh, the first story I wanna look at today comes from early on in Abraham's life. It's in, in Genesis 14. It, his story only really begins in, in Genesis 12, so there hasn't been a lot that has happened up to this point. Abraham traveled out of his father's home in the north of the promised land, north, like outside of the promised land. He, he was living north of it, and he traveled out of it with his nephew Lot, and he and Lot got so rich they had to go separate ways. And, and we read about how Lot went into uh, the land around the city of Sodom. And, and then at the beginning of chapter 14, there's this list of all of these kings who go to war against each other. And there's one king who, who ends up being sort of dominant and, and taking over, and, and he and his allies become like the ruling force. And his name is Keterlomer. Lomer. Uh, he's the king of Elam. And it's kind of hard to say, and I'm going to mispronounce it a few times, but Keterlomer, then he, he was like, he was dominant over all of these other little kings. And so you kind of get the picture that there's a number of small sort of city-states, and each one has a king. Each city has, has its own ruler, but Keterlomer, he has, he has exerted his dominance over a handful of these smaller kings. And one of those smaller kings that Keterlomer is dominant over is the king of Sodom. And, and so therefore Lot, who has lived around Sodom, is sort of under that umbrella too. And so Genesis 14, verse four, it tells us that this arrangement goes on for, for like 13 years, where Keterlomer is dominant over all of these other little kings and probably what that means is that like, they had to send Keterlomer a check in the mail every, every month just for the privilege of continuing to exist. And so if they didn't send their, their tribute on a regular basis to Keterlomer, Keterlomer was going to come and say, hey, uh, your, your payment for existing is due. And so this goes on for 13 years. And after 13 years, the king of Sodom and a few of his friends, they look around and they say, no, nah, no more. And so the king of Sodom and his friends, they say, hey man, Keterlomer, you want your check this month? You got to come down to the, to the valley of the Dead Sea. You got to get it yourself, bro. And uh, you can have it from, from my hand as soon as you've killed all of my, my army that is, is protecting me. And uh, Keterlomer says, well, okay, have it your way. 
and he gathers his army and his allies, and they go to the Valley of the Dead Sea, and lo and behold, Ketolomer and his allies are still stronger than the king of Sodom and his allies. And they make the, the king of Sodom and all of his allies, they run away, there's tar pits, some of them are falling into tar pits, some of them are heading to the hills, and Ketolomer and his allies, they realize all of the armies from these little cities, they're gone. We could go and collect a little extra this year. And so Ketterlomer and his allies, they go and they, they start taking possession, taking captive things out of Sodom and the neighboring cities. And one of the things that is taken captive is Lot and his family. And so Lot and all his possessions are taken off by this army back toward, toward Elam, presumably with, with Ketterlomer's army. And Abraham catches word of that in verse 13. In verse, in, in Genesis tells us that Abraham is able to muster an army of 118 trained soldiers. He's got some allies in this, but the, it says 100, 318 trained soldiers from his own household. And they go and, and they attack Ketterlomer's army at night, and they, and they whoop him. And, and we get an idea that this is like a pretty, pretty miraculous happening. Like this isn't a huge army, but God is on Abraham's side. And so Abraham wins the battle. He starts taking Lot and everything that belonged to in Sodom back. And, and he begins, begins back. And, and we'll pick up the story, and I'll read for you now from Genesis chapter, chapter 14. I'm going to start in verse 17. So I've just summarized up to verse 17, really. Uh, that's, the, that's my own version here. And then in, in verse 17, Genesis 14, 17, we read, after Abram returned from his victory over Ketterlomer and all his allies, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Shavah, that is, the king's valley. And Melchizedek, the king of Salem, and the priest of God Most High, bought, brought Abram some bread and wine. Melchizedek blessed Abram with this blessing. Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has defeated your enemies for you. Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods he had recovered. The king of Sodom said to Abram, give back my people who were captured, but you may keep for yourself all the goods that you have recovered. Abram replied to the king of Sodom, I solemnly swear to the Lord God most high, creator of heaven and earth, that I will not take so much as a single thread or a sandal thong from what belongs to you. Otherwise, you might say, I am the one who made Abram rich. I will accept only what my young warriors have already eaten, and I request that you give a fair share of the goods to my allies, Aner, Eskol, and Mamre. So, the the Melchizedek story at the beginning of this is really interesting. Uh, it's really interesting the the way he comes and shows up, and and he is by by everybody who looks at this like from ancient times, from the time of Jesus on, essentially, recognize that Melchizedek looks a lot like Jesus. Uh, the, he is the king of Salem. Salem is the Hebrew word for peace. He is the king of peace. In the Old Testament, when Jesus is is looked forward to 
by the prophet Isaiah. He is the prince of peace. King Melchizedek is the king of Salem. But then he has this strange meal, bread and wine, that he offers. Uh, pretty amazing. And he's the, the, the priest, the go-between between God, uh, the God most high creator of heaven and earth and people. And so Melchizedek has this really interesting interesting role. In Hebrews 7, we read about all of the ways that Jesus is, is similar to Melchizedek. Uh, it's an interesting study, but that's not what we're doing today. So uh, I just plant that seed for you. I, I want to say about Abram's interaction with Melchizedek, though, that Abram has this, this interesting response. It, it seems like Melchizedek wants to give him a gift, like, it's like he's throwing him a little bit of a party, right? Here's some bread and wine, let's celebrate, you just won this really awesome war. Look at you, Abraham. And, and Abram, in response, he gives Melchizedek a tenth, a tithe of everything that he had taken from, from Ketilomer. And we understand that Abraham is giving this as, as an offering to the Lord, right? He's giving it to the priest, but it's an offering to the Lord because the priest is the go-between between the Lord and people. And so Melchizedek stands there and receives on God's behalf what people want to offer to God. And it's not an exchanging of gifts, right? It, it could look like there's a little bit of an exchange of gifts, like um, Melchizedek throws a party for for Abram, and so Abram says, ah, oh, here, I'll give you, give you a little bit of money. It's, it's not that. It's, it's way out of proportion, right? Like, what he has received back from Keter Lomer, that, a tenth of that is way more than just a little bit of bread and wine. He, he's giving an extravagant gift. He's giving a big gift to, to uh, the Lord. It's an act of worship. And so remember, Genesis is here to teach us from the very beginning, how people are to act in relationship with God. And, and this foundational story teaches us something about how we react in all of the circumstances of life. Here is Abraham, fresh off an incredible victory. The numbers weren't in his favor. Uh, he was chasing after an army that had already been trained and ready, and, and he's taking his trained army, but they, they're not really battle-tested. And he takes them to, to chase after Keter Lomer, this great king who's conquered everybody between here and, and Egypt. And, and Abram has this incredible victory. And he reflects on it, and he, he goes to the presence of the, the priest of the Most High God, and, and he says, man, I, I got I to recognize God in all of this. I got to give a gift to God right now. I think the author is trying to give us a fundamental understanding of how the Lord wants us to react in good times in our lives. In, in good times in our lives, it, it's very often easy to, to forget about all that the Lord has done to bring us to this place. Abraham doesn't forget. Abraham says, man, I have been really blessed. I, I want to give an offering to the Lord. I want to give a tenth of all that, that I have received. My purpose today from Genesis 14 is really centered on Abraham's re interaction with the king of Sodom. 
the king of Sodom, he seems pretty tone deaf in this passage. Like Melchizedek hasn't really gained anything from Abraham's victory, but he still goes to Abraham with gifts. The king of Sodom comes to Abraham and says, give me back my people, okay? Like, there's no mention of the fact that the king of Sodom would have nothing if Abraham hadn't gone and done what the king of Sodom's army could not do, uh, which was defeat Kedrilomer. And, and so he, he's just, he's very tone deaf. One commentary I read this week calls the king of Sodom surly. He's, like, he's just kind of like curt and rude and just like, not a real likable character in this story. And there's a pretty clear contrast then between the king of Salem and the king of Sodom, right? The, the king of peace brings a gift and, and the king of Sodom brings demands. And Abraham, though, is surprisingly just like so willing, right? He's so willing. In fact, he says, I don't want any of your stuff, man. I don't want your people. I don't want your stuff. And, and he says, the reason is, I don't want you in the future to be able to say that you made me rich. If we reflect on where Abraham has been up to this point, he has heard from God on a couple of occasions already. These promises from the Lord, Abraham, I'm going to bless you, says God to, to Abraham. Abraham, I am going to be with you. Abraham, I'm going to help you. And Abraham has heard these promises on multiple occasions, knowing that it is God's plan to bless him. Abraham says, I'm not going to let God's plan be thwarted. I'm not going to let God's glory be any less because, because the king of Sodom is going to be generous with me. He says, I'm going to depend only on God for, for, what, uh, for, for the blessings in my life. He won't let the king of Sodom rob the Lord of, of what is due the Lord. And, and I, think, I think this is an instance of Abraham really trying to show his trust in God. He's really trying to say, I could become rich in any number of ways, but it's not going to be like this. It's not going to be because some king thinks that he owes me something and he's going to give me some stuff. That's not the way that I'm going to wait until the Lord blesses me. I think that's what's happening in this passage. Is that Abraham really, really wants the Lord to receive his due. Doesn't want anyone else to be able to take credit for what the Lord has done in his life. Well, there's another, another story in Abraham's life when he shows just a complete obstinate unwillingness to, to receive anything except generosity or a blessing from another person. And is found in Genesis chapter 23. It's the story of Sarah's death, which is interesting. Sarah is Abraham's wife. In Genesis 23, when I first read through this, this whole story, all of Abraham's life, uh, several months ago as I was starting to think about preaching from the life of Abraham, I, I read Genesis 23 and I started to think, man, that's a weird story. <laughs> it's, a, it's a story of Sarah's death, but it becomes a story of a transaction, of a business deal 
and in the negotiation. Uh, the, the way it happens in Genesis 23, it tells us that Sarah died at the age of 127. And Abraham is presented with a problem immediately. He doesn't mourn. There's no like weeping. There's no sackcloth and ashes. It's just sort of like dying's a part of living, Abraham. And so he just moves on. And, but he's got this problem though because this is the first time that a loved one of his own has passed since he's been in the promised land. The problem is he doesn't have anywhere to put her body. And he really wants a permanent place to, to put her remains. And, and so he, uh, this all happens in, right near a city that later in the Bible is going to be called Hebron. And, and it shows up a number of times in the Old Testament. And the people that lived in, in Hebron were called Hittites. And they're a people group that was in the promised land before Abraham showed up. And they live on, and they show up a handful of times. And so Abraham goes to the, to the Hittites, and, and he tries to negotiate for a piece of land. There, there happens to be this one piece of land that Abraham has centered a lot of his travels around at this point. And there's, there's a beautiful cave there that could be a great grave. And, and it's nice land. It's got some trees on it. And the only problem is that it belongs to one of the Hittite guys. It, it belongs to, to Ephron. And so he, he, Genesis 23 tells us how Abraham, he left Sarah's body. He, he stops his mourning to go and, and resolve this problem in Hebron. And I'll pick up the story in, in uh, Genesis chapter 23, verse 10. And I'll just read through the rest of the story. It says, Ephron, so Abraham's made an, or has said, I'd like that piece of, of land that belongs to Ephron. And, and so in verse 10, it says, Ephron was sitting there among the others. And he answered Abraham as the others were lis- listened, speaking publicly before all the Hittite elders of the town. No, my Lord, he said to Abraham, please listen to me. I will give you the field and the cave. Here in the presence of my people, I give it to you. Go and bury your dead. Abraham again bowed low before the citizens of the land, and he replied to Ephron as everyone listened. No, listen to me. I will buy it from you. Let me pay the full price for the field so I can bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, My lord, please listen to me. The land is worth 400 pieces of silver. But what is that between friends? Go ahead and bury your dead. So Abraham agreed to Ephron's price and paid the amount he had suggested, 400 pieces of silver, weighed according to the market standard. The Hittite elders witnessed the transaction. So Abraham bought the plot of land belonging to Ephron at uh, Machpelah near Mamre. This included the field itself, the cave that was in it, and all the surrounding trees. It was transferred to Abraham as his permanent possession in the presence of the Hittite elders of the city gate. Then Abraham buried his wife Sarah there in Canaan, in the cave of Machpelah, near Mamre, also called Hebron. So the field and the cave were transferred from the Hittites to Abraham for use as a permanent burial place. Well, the nuance of this exchange is probably like really interesting. We could probably spend like hours just digging into exactly what's happening here with the, you know, oh my Lord, just take it. Oh my Lord, 
I, please let me buy it. All of that probably reveals a lot about the culture that Abraham lived in. Like you, could, you could really dig in and probably understand way more than, than I'm going to give you about, about Abraham's culture. But my purpose this morning, I want to just look at this story from the point that Abraham is so completely unwilling to accept this gift. Like he's in a period of mourning, and, and his neighbors are trying to be nice to him and offer him a gift. We would say, we would say, on the majority of occasions, I think we would say, like, if, if you are in a moment of crisis in your life, if your spouse has just passed away and somebody is trying to offer you a gift, just take it. Just take it. You, like, you're doing a favor to the person who wants to give you the gift, right? Like, just take, like, receive the hospitality that is offered you. Receive the, the generosity that is offered you. Like, that is, for us, in our culture, that's a virtue, right? It's, that is the way you should act. But Abraham is just, like, obstinate. He, he is unwilling the, the, the Hittite leaders say, man, just take any, you can take any piece of land you want. Like, you can bury Sarah wherever you want. Man, your, your wife just died. Stop negotiating over the price of land right now and go, go help your family. And Abraham is just like, no, I've got to buy it. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy this thing. And, and Abraham may have had all kinds of motives that, that we don't know, but it, it would fit with what we have seen from Abraham up to this point. If we were to believe that what Abraham really wanted in this moment was that the one piece of land that he is actually going to own, the one piece of land that he will have purchased at the time that he passes away would be something that he has received because the Lord has blessed him and not somebody else. And so Abraham is just sort of like, stubbornly saying, I'm going to use what the Lord has blessed me with to purchase it, and I'm not going not to receive anything else. Okay, so this sermon could become really legalistic at this point. <laughs> this sermon could at this point say, now we need to be very careful about where we receive blessings from, right? You, you could read this and say, okay, from now on, you can't receive any blessing unless it comes to you with handwriting on it or the person giving it to you has written on their forehead, helper from God. This is help from God. Uh, we, could, we could start to believe that. We could start to think that like, what, what we really need is to be really discerning about what we accept and make sure that only the Lord is blessing us. There's the old joke. It's an old joke. That's a really bad old joke. Uh, the, the man was on his rooftop as the floodwaters were rising. The rowboat comes by. The man says, uh, the rowboat person says, hey, hop in, we'll take you to dry land. And the man on his roof says, no, I'm praying to God and God's, I have faith that God's gonna save me. Then the motorboat comes by a little while later. And, hey, hop in, we'll take you to dry land. The man on his roof says, no, I'm praying to God. God's gonna save me, I have faith. So the motorboat drives away and a helicopter comes. The helicopter pilot yells down, hey, grab onto this rope, we'll take you to safety. The man says, I'm praying to God. I have faith, I'm gonna be saved. The floodwaters rise and the man dies. He ends up in heaven and the, he, he says to God, God, I prayed, I had faith. Why didn't you save me? And the Lord says, I sent a rowboat 
and a powerboat and a helicopter. What more did you want? This isn't, this isn't a sermon about discerning when God wants us to, to wait on his blessing and when God wants us to receive a gift. That, I, I think that that would be impossible. <laughs> uh, this is a sermon about giving credit to the Lord for the things that are good in our lives. Uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, acknowledge God, and he will make your paths straight. In all your ways, acknowledge God. Abraham very clearly acknowledges God in his ways. He, he returns from battle uh, as a, a victorious, you know, conquering, conquering guy. He's, he's captured Lot back from Ketilomer's army, and, and he's got all kinds of adrenaline, and he's excited about it. And, and it's like Melchizedek comes, and he's like the, the interview of, uh, of the athlete after the game, right, for that TV spot. And Abraham's response is, first and foremost, I want to give credit to God who helped me, right? He gives, he gives the offering to the Lord because he knows that it has been the Lord who has helped him. It, when, when presented with the opportunity to profit from it more, he says, you know, I don't know if God will receive all of the credit if I profit more from this. I'd rather God receive all the credit. I'd rather God, God receive the glory. And even, even with Ephron in Hebron, he, he won't give Ephron the credit for having blessed Abraham with, again, the only piece of property that Abraham owns his entire life in Canaan. And, and so the Lord, or Abraham wants to acknowledge God in all his ways. And we do some pretty simple things to acknowledge God in all of our ways. We pray before we eat as a way of acknowledging God in all of our ways. You know, oftentimes, like, you cooked that, you earned the money to, to buy that. But still we pray and we say, thank you, God. Because we acknowledge God in all our ways. God give, gave us the ability to cook it and the ability to earn money to buy it. Thank you, God. We tithe our income because we recognize that our ability to earn is a gift from God. And everything we have is, belongs to God. So we're going to acknowledge God with our, with our money. We say, thank you, God. We praise God when our prayers are answered. There's a simple way to say, well, sometimes not even so simple, we, a way of acknowledging God. We say, thank you, God, when, when what we pray for comes to pass. Sometimes what we should have prayed for comes to pass, and we acknowledge God. We say, thank you, Lord. We, we acknowledge God by looking to God in times of trouble, by recognizing that God can sustain us even, even in the most difficult of circumstances. And we acknowledge God by praising him and thanking him in good times, by saying, thank you, Lord. We trust God, God's presence to sustain us and be with us. But we acknowledge God by, by just saying wow at a beautiful sunset. We acknowledge God by, by giving thanks 
moments when, when we're with our family and, and all is right in the world. We, we acknowledge God also when he is at work in us. Uh, there, there are moments, there are moments in life where you look at your response, where you're trying to have faith, right? You're trying, you're trying to trust the Lord. You're trying to be righteous. You're trying to, to trust that God will do exactly what God has promised to do in your life. You, you're trying to, to trust that the Lord is making you more like Jesus. And then there are moments when, when confronted with a challenge and you respond with more patience than you would normally have responded. When, when you realize that just maybe the Lord is giving you love for the people that think they are your enemies. In those moments, we, we say, thank you, God. We acknowledge God in, in all our ways. Thank you, Lord. You're doing something in me that I couldn't do in myself. That is, that is you know, the Lord making us righteous. That is, that is us trusting God to make us into the people that he has called us to be. And each time that it happens, may, may we acknowledge God. May we say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for doing in me what I couldn't do on my own. And then one last piece, like Abraham's example of not accepting what God wanted to do in his life from anyone else means that we don't try to make ourselves righteous. Like we wait on the Lord and we accept the spirit of God in us to, to make us more loving and patient. We, we wait on the spirit of God to, to help us, to form us. We put ourselves in his way. I mean, we, we go and, and we ask God all the time, keep doing it. But we do it by his power in us, not by gritting our teeth and saying, I will be nice to this person. I will be patient today. So the proverb tells us, acknowledge, acknowledge the Lord in all your ways, and he will make your path straight. We've found from experience that straight paths aren't always smooth paths, but we've found from experience that God's present con presence continues with us, even on bumpy roads. Why don't you stand? I, I think we need to practice. I'm sorry. I'm going to make you do something you're not going to like, but we have a lot of time. And so uh, I'm going to just make you, I'm going to give you like a minute, two minutes, a minute, a minute and a half <laughs> to tell somebody next to you uh, how you can acknowledge God in all your ways. Like what's a good thing that happened this week that you can, can give God credit for? Go.
Wow, congratulations. You guys have all had a wonderful week and you have you have applied this sermon already. Well done. Let me say a quick prayer for you and and uh, send you out. Our heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you God because all that we have is from your hand. All that we are is because you are at work in our lives. And so God, we thank you because you you are at work and and we we love to see how, how you are moving among us. We ask God that you would go with us into this week and help us to have eyes to see where you are working and may we acknowledge you in everything that we do. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. God bless you, you are dismissed. Thank you for joining us on the First NAS podcast. We look forward to seeing you in person at 1700 8th Street in Lewiston. Come join us.